earlier, we will have uh, <clears throat> more announcements at maybe at the 10 o'clock hour. Uh, at this time, I'd like to ask uh, my brother Brian Cirillo if he would step upstairs and kind of check on things. <clears throat> He's our sound man. Uh, you know, there's probably no greater time in my my recollection as the uh, so much confusion in the world today and and the challenges before the church and, and where is the church headed? And many times you have to kind of step back and look at where the church has been and to see where we're going. And it is a difficult time in this day and time. And we feel this evening that uh, it'd be a good time to reflect on the church, uh, especially here in the United States as it took root and uh, where we're going to go from here. This morning... We have uh, three speakers that will be before you, and I will introduce our first one this morning, Brother Wesley Simons, and actually he needs no introduction here at White Oak. Many of you know him much, much better than I do. But our Brother Wesley is going to uh, be speaking on the restoration principle. There was some confusion about that last night. I hope I got that straight. I think he was going to step on one of the other other lessons, but uh, Brother Leslie is the director of Tri City School of Preaching, the congregation here at White Oak. You are you're quite familiar with the work there, and we support uh, several men there that teach and also uh, students. And we are very pleased to have him with us this morning, and we will. Get right into our lesson. So, Brother Leslie, uh, Wesley, I'm sorry, if you will come and, and teach us. <clears throat> what a joy to be back at White Oak. As Barton Stone said about Cane Ridge, this is the place I love most. I truly love the White Oak Church of Christ. As I've told you before, People have asked me, why did you ever resign from White Oak? And the only answer I can give is stupidity. That's the only one I got. So I love this congregation very much. Thank you for all the help you've given us through the years. Without the White Oak Church of Christ and congregations like you, the Tri-City School of Preaching could not exist. See which way i got to point this. Apparently, no way. There it is. The Restoration Movement. Now, as we think about the Restoration Movement, or the restoration of anything, when a thing goes downhill, is not in its original form, then we try to bring it back to its original form if we're going to restore it. And so it is, if we were playing baseball, and all of a sudden baseball went out of existence, and we wanted to restore baseball, then we need to get the rule book, read the rule book, and then we can be playing baseball again. I remember on Signa Mountain, when some young men moved in next door, and I was so proud, 
to see some more young men so we could play ball. And our backyard was the playground for all the neighborhood children. And so we were playing them, and I noticed they did not have a first baseman. Well, that was a little dumb, I thought. So I hit a hot grounder down toward short, and I was running toward first as hard as I could run, and all of a sudden a ball come right under my chin. I had to hit the deck to keep from getting hit, and I jumped up and said, What are you doing? He said, the way we play, if we throw the ball in front of you before you get to first, you're out. <laughs> I was almost out anyway, because he almost got me. You see, you've got to have a rule book. And if you don't have a rule book, it's going to be hard to restore anything. Well, in our case, it's the Bible. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Luke 8, 11. Now, if I wanted to raise some good old Georgia, rattlesnake, watermelons, I don't have to grow a vine that runs all the way from Georgia to Stony Creek. Because knowing some of the lady drivers, they'd run over the vine and kill it. But I can get the seed, take it up there, plant the seed, and I can have those watermelons. Well, so it is with the Word of God. If we plant the seed in good and honest hearts, then we can have what we need to have. There we go. We do not have our roots in the restoration movement. I want you to understand that. It amazes me as I find people who make the comment, we've got our roots in the restoration movement. No, friends, our roots go back to the first century to the church that Jesus Christ and the apostles established. We did a little survey in our area calling Christian churches, wanting to know when the Christian church got established. And one of the ladies with whom we were speaking said, Well, I can't remember if Barton Stone established the Christian church or if it was Alexander Campbell, but it was one of the two. Well, Jesus Christ established the church that you and I are members of. So our roots do not go back to the restoration movement. And let's see if I can get that to move forward. There, I want you to introduce you to some of the personalities. And this is not my lesson, but uh, Rod and others will be talking about this. you got Moses Lard, Thomas and Alexander Campbell, Barton Warren Stone, Walter Scott, Rice Haggard, James O'Kelly, and Raccoon John Smith. Here are a few of them. Now, we're indebted to these men and women who had the mindset, let's go back to the Bible. Some of these people never got to where they needed to be. But thank God they had the right hermeneutical principle. Let's go back to the Bible. And that's what we're trying to sell you on. And I can't get the slides to advance. There we go. Here's the Cane Ridge Meeting House. I wanted to introduce you to some of the uh, places as well as some of the personalities. If you go to Paris, Kentucky, you'll find the Cane Ridge Meeting House in housed in a super structure here. Here's where uh, men like Barton Warren Stone preached. Now, just a little something about the Cane Ridge Meeting House and who preached there before? Robert Finley.
preached there before Barton Stone. And they got to paying him with whiskey. Now you think about that. A man preach, and all of a sudden, they get ready to pay, and here's your half pint of uh, Oak Crow or Jack Daniels. Of course, I'm sure those didn't exist back then. You know what? They fired him for using his paychecks. Now you, th- you think about that. Pay a man in liquor, what are you supposed to do with it? Pour it out? You know? So he started using his paychecks, and they got rid of him. Now here's the Brush Run meeting house. It doesn't stand anymore. There's a marker out where it used to be. I've been out there several times. And what's amazing is the distance from the Campbell Mansion out to Brush Run. And they either had to walk, ride an animal, or in a buggy. And they were faithful. And you can't get some members of the body of Christ to come to services in a wonderful automobile with heating and air and all of that. Can you imagine getting up at the Campbell Mansion and it's 10 below zero and you got to ride that distance on a Sunday morning to worship God? That took dedication. And we appreciate these people for their dedication. Here's a Lord's Supper token. Do you know back then many congregations, and especially the Presbyterians, wouldn't allow you to partake of the Lord's Supper until you passed a test. And then asked you, uh, how's your relationship with God? You'd have to answer that. How's your relationship with your wife and your children? Got any problems with your next door neighbor? Well, if you pass the test, they'd give you a token. Alexander Campbell had passed the test and they'd given him a token. And he is on his way to America. He took that token and pitched it on the table, turned around and walked off as if to say, I'm through. I'm going to use my Bible and try to go back to the New Testament church. He did not know that his daddy Thomas had made the same decision in America. And they hated to tell each other what their decision was. Now we're going to be looking at some slogans of the restoration movement. The proverb writer said, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Now, the slogans were designed to call people back to the Bible. We might say it's their hermeneutical approach to the Bible. How are they going to view it? Now you think about the darkness they found themselves in. Calvinism running rampant. You almost had to have an experience to demonstrate without doubt that you were saved. And if you couldn't relate that experience, then your salvation would be questioned to a large degree. Calvinism had so shackled these people, they were told they could not read the Bible and understand it for themselves. It had so shackled them that it was going to take a direct operation of the Holy Spirit for them to be saved. And on and on, they would go into darkness. Some of them following the religion of mom and dad, some trying to follow their conscience, some following creed books, not knowing really where to turn. Now as we think about the validity of these phrases, these are not creeds, just short, concise thoughts The restoration preachers were trying to call the people back to the Bible, the church, God, 
Christ and the Holy Spirit, they express thoughts. Now with some of these thoughts, they tried to put them into practice and they were sincere about it. But with some of them, they never understood completely the import of their own statements. And so we need to realize that and be fair with them as they're coming out of darkness. No creed but Christ and no book but the Bible. What a wonderful slogan. You see, I want you to look at the bottom statement here. In almost every home, you'd find a Bible, a songbook, and a creed book. They didn't have good libraries like you and I've got. But they wanted for sure a Bible and a creed book of whatever church they were a member of. Because they were serious about their religion. And this is what the restoration preachers were trying to get these people out of. In a world filled with religions, each with its creed, what a unique concept. Throw the creed books away. And let's believe in the Christ. Are trying to sell them on the concept of the confession of Simon Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nothing is authoritative was their mindset unless the Bible states it. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work. This should reshape the religious world. And that's what they were trying to do. They wanted to reshape the religious world. Now, when we think about no creed but Christ, I think it's Benjamin Franklin that came up with these thoughts. He said this, and of course it was the mindset of all the restoration people for the most part. Relative to creeds, if a creed contains more than the Bible, it's wrong because you're not supposed to add to the Word of God. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. If a creed book contains less than the Bible, it's wrong because you're not supposed to take away from it. Deuteronomy 4 and verse number 2. Well, one might argue my creed contains exactly what's in the Bible. Then it's useless because you've got the Bible. This is what they were trying to get the people to see. You don't need your creed book. All you need is your Bible and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Ron Payne told me that the Pope has just decreed that you no longer have to believe in God in order to be saved. Just follow your conscience. That's not really all that surprising. But do you know more and more religious people are reaching the mindset you don't have to believe in Jesus to be saved? When I notice our creed or our belief system should be in the Christ and what he says. Notice Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6, that's either true or false. And of course it's true. I said therefore unto you that you should die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Then he said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. John 8, 32, relative to the truth, notice, no creed but Christ, 
But notice, no book but the Bible. Jesus said in John 8, 32, And you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. 1 Peter 1, 23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Or to put it another way, Psalm 19, 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. When Paul was getting ready to leave the elders at Ephesus, he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Now, brethren, if that's true, and it is, then you and I, we must also be busy trying to sell people on the word of God, following the word of God, allowing it to be our only standard. In Acts eleven fourteen, I want you to notice Cornelius was told to send to Joppa for Simon Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Now watch this. I want you to realize the devil understands the power lies in God's word. Even he's got that figured out. For the Bible says in John, I mean Luke 8, 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Now watch this, verse 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Notice the devil is trying to take the word out of people's hearts. And one of the best ways to do it is to tell them you need a creed book. Follow the creed of your church. Follow the religion of mom and dad. Follow the word of the preacher. Follow just your conscience. Or if you're a pretty moral person, that's good enough. See, the devil's trying to take the word out of our hearts. Notice in Matthew 17, 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. We're to hear the Christ. Now what's amazing, we got people today that want to sell you on believing in the Christ, which is wonderful. But it's not the Christ only, it's the Christ plus His Word. we got to understand that. You know, years ago, give me the man, but not the plan. Look at the verse. John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me, that's the man, and receiveth not my words, that's the plan. Hath one, that's the man, that judgeth him, the word, that's the plan, that I, that's the man, have spoken, that's the plan, the same shall judge him in the last day. So you and I, we got to understand no creed but Christ and no book but the Bible. Where the scriptures speak, we speak. Where the scriptures are silent, we will be silent. What a great rule, hermeneutical principle that you and I should employ in trying to understand the Word of God. We have those in the religious world that thinks that if the Bible is silent on a subject, you can do whatever you want to. Or if it does not say, thou shalt not, then you can do it. Well, there's no Bible authority for that. The position demands Bible authority. It cries out for a pattern. By the way, we have those who cannot stand the concept of pattern theology. Well, if I have the attitude that all patterns are wrong. That's a pattern within itself. I've come up with my pattern that patterns are wrong. And then when I say you're saved by faith only, and that's usually what they teach, 
That's another pattern. And then when I say you can worship any way you want to, and that's usually what they teach, that's another pattern. You see, they've got their pattern. What they don't like is the New Testament pattern. And the New Testament certainly is our pattern. A thing is either scriptural or not scriptural. All beliefs and practices are either from heaven or from men. I want you to notice, when we say where the Bible speaks, we speak. That's what Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4.11. That's what Colossians 3.17 says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name or by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Do you know some of the best statements in the Word of God on following the Word of God came from a man that did not follow the Word of God? That's what's amazing. I want you to listen to these statements that Balaam makes. In Numbers twenty-two eighteen. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. What a wonderful statement. But he won't live up to that. In Numbers 22, 20, And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. That's got to be our attitude, the word that he's spoken to us in the Bible. That shall we do. Nothing more, nothing less. In Numbers twenty-two thirty-eight, Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am come unto thee. Have I now any power at all to say anything? The word that God putteth in my mouth, that shall I speak. The word that God has put in his book, that shall we speak. In Numbers 23, 25, 26, And Balak said unto Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. But Balaam answered and said unto Balak, Told not I thee, saying all that the Lord speaketh, that I must do. What a wonderful attitude if he had just put that into practice. It's one thing to know the correct approach to the Bible. It's something else to put it into practice. And by the way, that was a tremendous burden for the people in the restoration movement. They learned some truth. Shall I walk off and leave this church, my family church, with my family members in it? Shall I leave it to become just a Christian? I experienced that when I had to work out, walk out of the Church of God of Prophecy. Walked in these doors for the first time, my wife and I, to become Christians. Never been in the meeting house before of the Church of Christ. But a man taught me these principles. And I believed them. And I, need, I knew they needed to be put into practice. Notice, in Matthew 21, 25, the baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? Everything that one practices religiously is either from heaven or from men. The men and women in the restoration movement had begun to realize that. 
And they realized they were doing things for which they did not have Bible authority. And they were trying to get back to the Word of God. Now notice what God says in Revelation 2, 14. But I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Balaam could not curse God's people. But he told Balak, I know how you can get them. God won't tolerate it if you'll invite them up to worship idols and to fornicate with your women. And sure enough, he did. And God took care of the situation. Brethren, it's one thing to know the truth. It's something else to put it into practice. Howbeit, in vain did they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And the people in the restoration movement had begun to realize, hey, these things we've been doing, they are the commandments of men. Now, where the Bible is silent, we'll be silent. Now, Jesus Christ, while on earth in the first century, could not be a high priest. I want you to notice in Hebrews 7, 12 through 14, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, namely Judah, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, watch it, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. All that's saying is there's no Bible authority for anybody from the tribe of Judah to serve as a high priest under Judaism. And not just Judah. It got all the other tribes as well. They had to be from Levi according to what the Word of God said. Now, I want you to notice this in the case of Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Notice, which he commanded them not. It wasn't authorized. But they got it from a strange source and the Lord consumed them in fire according to what verse 2 says. Now, with that in mind, the restoration people were facing some real difficult decisions. They'd been employing mechanical instruments of music. But what did the Word of God say? Ephesians 5, 19 said, Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Some of them hadn't been partaking of the Lord's Supper on a very regular basis. Others, partaking of it, had closed communion. Others might do it once a month, once a year. But the Bible says upon the first day of the week the disciples came together to break bread. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9 that we are a peculiar people. Therefore, we are to be God's people and do what God tells us to do. Same way with giving. When should one give? They were faced with that. When I was in denominational era, they took up a contribution all the time. Well, the man that converted me got to ask him where's Bible authority for it. I faced the same dilemma these people faced. And the Bible says upon this rock I will build my church singular. 
Those men and women were trying to figure out, is it right to have 50 churches, 10 churches, or even two churches? And so they were wrestling with that dilemma. Do Bible things in Bible ways, call Bible things by Bible names. You remember when Peter was following the Lord afar off and he is denying, I don't know him. And they said, your speech bereath you. You've been with him. The language of so-called Christians is foreign to the Word of God. They employ things like calling the preacher pastor, reverend. They teach the sinner's prayer, mechanical instruments of music. One church is good as another. Join the church of your choice. Uh, direct operation of the Holy Spirit to be saved. Man-made church names. Once saved, always saved. Women preachers and on and on we could go. And these people in the restoration movement were facing these same kind of things, and they were trying to figure out, what do we do? How do we deal with this? It sounds like something is wrong, but the Bible is right. That's what they were trying to promote. There's something wrong with all this mess. But the Bible's right. And we've got to get back to the Bible. Now notice, do Bible things Bible ways. Well then how in the world is a person going to be saved? What does the Bible say? The Bible says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I remember studying the life of Barton Stone. Barton said he was in a gospel meeting. And he decided he'd try something. He decided that he would quote Mark 16, 16 and tell people this is what you're to do to be saved. So he quoted Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. He said it just about destroyed that meeting. You see, the people were not used to hearing that kind of thing. They were trying to get them back to what the Bible says. And same way with Romans 6, 3, and 4, being baptized into the death of Christ. Call Bible things by Bible names. Is it all right to call the Lord's church after a man? They were trying to figure that out. Is it all right to call the Lord's church after a practice? They were trying to figure that out. So they finally decided, hey, let's call Bible things by Bible names. And that way we'll get it right. And the Lord's church is referred to by many different descriptive terms, one of which is the church of God, one the church of Christ, the church, the church of the firstborn, etc. And so then we need to use one of those names. In Acts eleven sixteen, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now if you've got a Book of Mormon and you read it, around 73 B.C., according to their date, people were called Christians. Well, that's not right. If this is right, that's not right. And this is right. I had a man tell me one time, he is a Methodist, he said, why well, you're putting a lot of emphasis on the Name Christian, it's only in the New Testament three times. I said, that's three times more than Methodist. 
And I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just trying to show it was scriptural. This is a scriptural term by which you and I are privileged to be called. Ross Haggard said this, The Holy Scriptures are the only sure, authentic, and infallible rule of faith and practice. The name Christian is the only proper one of the believer. In all essentials, the Scriptures are plain to be understood. Now I want you to understand this. In all essentials, Brethren, there's some things about which all responsible people must be right. You've got to obey the right plan of salvation, be a member of the right church, worship correctly, endorse the right moral code, etc. There's some things you're going to have to be right about. And I'm going to have to be right about if we're going to be right in the sight of God. More slogans of the restoration movement. In matters of faith, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. In all things, charity. Now, if you've been to the Stony Creek Church of Christ where I preach, we got this over our door as you go into the auditorium, except we goofed it up. We came up with a new slogan we didn't mean to. We wrote that down and told a lady, we want you to get a carpenter to make big letters and put it on the board, and we're going to put that over the door going into the auditorium. Well, he got confused, and he put it this way, in matters of doctrine. Unity. In matters of opinion, liberty. And in all things, charity. That's fine. That's the concept of faith. And so, it's up there a little bit differently than what this is stated. But when it comes to matters of faith, what we got to be right on, folks, we got to be united. According to 1 Corinthians 1.10. But when it comes to matters of opinion, we're crying out loud, let's give liberty to one another. But as we approach both of those things, let's do it in love. Some churches have split over the color of carpet to go into the auditorium or uh, what color to paint the building and so forth. Truth first, here's another one of their slogans, union afterward and unity or union only in truth. Do you know a few years back we had those people involved in the unity movement? And to them, unity was the most important thing. Brethren, unity is not the most important thing. Obeying God is the most important thing. Unity is a byproduct of that. If we at Stony Creek, if we obey God, you at White Oak obey God, then we're united. You see, unity is a byproduct. Anytime you pursue unity at the expense of truth, you're not going at it the biblical way, and they understood that. Be true to the truth. Oppose the error and bear with humanity. Now we do have to bear with humanity to some degree because not everybody figures all this out overnight and we got to be a charitable people. Here's some more slogans. Back to Jesus. Back to the Bible. Back to Jerusalem. Gene Mayfield, who's here, said, do you remember that sermon you preached about 1972, back to Jerusalem, I'll never forget it. Well, you know what Roy Hearn told us? Roy Hearn said, fellas, when you graduate and you get out of here and you go to preach, don't wander too far from Jerusalem. And boy, that's good advice. That's simply saying don't wander too far from the first principles that's found in God's Word. That's all that's saying. 
The only way to make progress in religion is going back to the Bible. We're Christians only, but not the only Christians. Some people got confused on that, including Alexander Campbell. Campbell wrote in the Millennial Harbinger on one occasion that there might be saved people in other churches. A lady up in Virginia wrote him a letter, took him on, and set him straight. There's only one church, and all the saved are in the one church. And if you get a chance, you ought to read that. She did a beautiful job. Now, all that saying is, we are the only Christians. But we're not the only Christians. There are people around the world that's obeyed the same gospel you and I have obeyed, and they're part of the family. And we ought to be proud they're part of the family. What the slogans of the restoration movement calls people to do. I want you to watch this. Boy, it created questions, major questions. When Alexander Campbell's first baby girl was born, he had to try to make up his mind, should she be sprinkled or not sprinkled? See, he's trying to apply these principles. And finally, he made up his mind, sprinkling or baptizing babies, babies period, was not scriptural. It's baptism for the remission of sins. I'm convinced when the Baptist preacher Luce baptized Alexander Campbell and his family, they did not understand at that point it was for the remission of sins. It was later, after Walter Scott and some others started preaching it, that Campbell was willing to defend it in public debating. You see, they were learning these truths a little bit at a time. Are all churches right? What do we do if we come out and we're just New Testament Christians? Can we still fellowship the religious world? Does truth matter? Is it all right if that guy believes one thing? And me something else about the plan of salvation? How do we worship? Can we use instrumental music? Let women preach? Does the Bible teach a certain moral code? Can you pay the preacher with whiskey? Can you drink whiskey? You know, and so forth. Can we fellowship the religious world? What should the preacher be called? Pastor, reverend, priest, etc.? They had to work on that. Must one be called to preach? John Raccoon Smith and others had a problem with that. Must we discard all creed books? Is truth absolute and attainable? And finally, guess what? They came up with the right plan of salvation, some of them. And they came up with a concept that that plan of salvation put people in the one true church. And some of them made up their minds they were going to push hard for that. Stand firm right there. And brethren, that's what you and I have got to do. We've got to believe the Word of God as our only source of authority, obey it from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you much.